this house. Hello and welcome back to Dark Static, a podcast where we catalog and discuss everything found footage and analog horror. I'm your host, Alex Schiffer. With me always is Zach. Hi, it's me. It's you. And you're not, there's no terrifying presence here. We're all safe. We're all safe. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Tonight's episode... Uh, is going to be a pretty big one, and I think the last time we were uh, we were doing this show, I I kind of teased that the next episode was going to be the Blair Witch Project. Uh, we're actually going forward in time a lot to this month. Actually, actually, it did I forgot if this movie came out this month or last month? I think it was last. Yeah, it was definitely last month. I think it was actually technically uh, last month. Well, it hits streaming this month. That film we're talking about is Skinnamarink. The latest kind of viral horror sensation from director Kyle Edward Ball. I am so pumped to talk about this movie. Um, We've been mostly dealing with the early found footage films. We've been talking about, you know, the McPherson tape last broadcast. We talked about Cannibal Holocaust. We've been kind of in this 90s vintage horror might be strange for some listeners for me to be calling 90s vintage, I guess. But that's that's what it is. We're, we're in 2023 now, and we're talking about a 2023 movie, finally. I know there have been, you know, other found footage and analog horror media that's come out, you know, in the past year, in 2022. I know movies like, you know, VHS, uh, the new VHS uh, 99. Was it 99 or 94? VHS 9, well, 94 came out. The year before, ninety nine, I think VHS, was the recent one. Yeah, VHS ninety nine was the latest one. Um, that came out last year, and then Deadstream was a big one, a big one last year. I decided uh, what perfect timing this was that uh, a movie like Skinnamarink has has come out because we've we've you know we've talked about the you know films that have used the found footage technique uh, in horror and. Now we're going to the other thing that this podcast is going to touch on, which is analog horror. And uh, if you've never heard that term before, it's I think it's got more than one meaning meaning. But basically it can mean, you know, like liminal horror or lo fi horror, Um, usually dealing with nostalgic subject matter, nostalgic imagery. Usually analog deals with the past because, you know, we're all and anything that doesn't include digital technology basically is considered analog horror. And you'll find a lot of analog horror mainly online. It's mostly lived on YouTube ARGs for the longest time. And this new film, Skinnamarink, has now kind of brought it into not I don't think this is a mainstream film you know, in, in any way, but, uh, it, it was definitely, I mean, no, I think you've definitely seen it talked about, uh, at least cause you know, th- this movie hit theaters, uh, uh, with a pretty limited release. And I was actually very lucky to have gotten to see skin and Marink in the theater. I saw it at the IFC center 
in Manhattan, uh, fucking one of my favorite theaters to go see anything. That I'm was so jealous. I, <laughs> I was that was an incredible experience. I wish I had seen this in theater. I, yeah, and it's funny because like this doesn't really seem like a movie. Like you you hear about Skinner Rink and you know maybe it comes up on your for you page on TikTok, which I think is where a lot of people got to know the name and you know first saw the trailer maybe on 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 TikTok. What everyone I have heard before I saw it had said about it was, oh, yeah, watch this movie, you know, late at night, all the lights off, watch it on like your laptop with headphones and shit like that. And I do see that. I do see that. But this is going to sound corny as shit. The movie theater is a magical place (laughs) and can make uh, (laughs) a lot of. A lot of magical things happen. Um, Heartbreak before, feels good in a place like. Yeah. <laughs> you know the funny thing? I have ne- to this day, I've never seen that ad. What? I, I've never. Se- I don't go to AMC's. I I don't go to AMC you, theaters. You haven't been have, to an AMC once. I have not been to an AMC once where that Nicole Kidman ad is played. I know the like oh, the the meme. I know. I know the meme. I've never experienced it. Dude, God save the queen! Holy shit! <laughs> that, that's insane. I think I, that's absolutely insane. I had. I think I vowed never to to go to an AMC ever again after uh, uh, something was ruined for me. Well, my main issue with the AMC is that mm. their sound systems are kind of crap, and you always tend to hear if you're if you're going there to see like a, a quiet movie, be like a, a drama, you know, something not as yeah. bombastic. The, Marvel movie. The yeah, well, usually it's a Marvel movie that will that will leak its sound into your theater. You just hear the you know the resonance of of that film coming from next door, uh, and it's <laughs> leaking into like your screening of Little Woman or something. I, th- I think that's <laughs> the movie I was watching that ruined AMC's for me. Uh, but um, yeah. <laughs> getting back on subject, uh, I just wanted to ask. You know what? What is your what is your like experience with analog horror? If you know, if any, it might be a completely new concept to you. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, have you ever experienced anything uh, or watched a series online about analog horror or you know any web series at all? No, I was like never really into that stuff. I um, uh-huh. like I had a few friends, uh, like a roommate in early college and stuff like that, where. They were like very into that scene. I think like Marble Hornets is one of the big ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know like actual feature films have taken influence from like these, an- these analog methods in order to create what is essentially analog horror. Like you got like yeah. Blair Witch Project, and then um, a little bit of like that stuff is in like Videodrome and The Ring and stuff, where you like look at these like yeah, particularly these re- terrible re- footage. Uh, yeah, particularly the Japanese. Uh, ring i i feel like is when i watch that it's more synonymous with what i, what I with what i think of as analog horror than uh than the naomi watts one um both great movies but i think if you watch the japanese one it's kind of a, a little bit more apparent uh where what we're talking about yeah like it there's just like an authenticity to it where you feel like you're watching like something that is like snuff film adjacent or like yeah, like this yeah. avant-garde film what you're not supposed to be watching and that can only kind of come from the thing actually looking like 
something real. Totally, totally, yeah. I think for me, I, I don't think I discovered it late. Uh, I, I guess analog horror was a thing for longer, but um, I remember watching stuff like, uh, of course, Marble Hornets is is the big one. I, I followed that for a long, long time. And Marble Hornets, well, and by the way, we will do a whole episode on Marble Hornets. Just you wait. We we oh, will God. cover. We will cover Marble Hornets. It's Isn't funny because Marble Hornets, uh, it is analog horror, but it also just uses those found footage techniques that we're, we we've become used to that have you know been introduced uh, you know in the nineties and you know it, it seems a bit more uh, familiar. But the ones that are are out today are very, very out there. I don't know if you've ever watched anything from like the Mandela catalog or have you heard of Ben Drowned? Oh, I have heard of this movie. This, uh, or no, it's a, it's not really a, a series. Movie. Yeah. I, I haven't. Um... Well, it's kind of just a, it's kind of just a video, but I remember Ben Drowned fu- fucking freaks the shit out of me still. I would associate that with analog horror because it does deal with like a past childhood nostalgic thing being twisted um i think we'll also do an episode on ben drowned as well but um you know it, it still it has to do with like a you know something from your childhood being twisted which and and that's echoed in skinnamarink i i think masterfully but before before we get more into skinnamarink i kind of want to get into the director uh, a little bit kyle edward ball this is his you know this is his debut theatrical release and he is a filmmaker primarily you know lived on youtube for a while and he has a channel called bite-sized horrors where basically i think he goes on reddit and he asks people to send him send him their their nightmares and what he does is he visualizes it uh in a horrifying way kind of reminiscent of the style you're seeing in in a movie like Skinnamarink. Yeah, it's called Bite Size Yeah, Bite Sized Nightmares. I think I said Bite Sized Horror. Yeah, Bite Sized Nightmares. Um and basically he has has been making these for for a long time and he's not uh r- really that big of a a YouTuber, I would say. He I mean, Bite Sized Nightmares only has like 27 million fuck, not mil- sorry. 27 million that's so much. <laughs> twenty-seven. He only a has like billion kajillion. <laughs> twenty-seven thousand subscribers. Not too big. You know, still pretty sizable. But what also lives on here is a movie called Heck, which I would I would describe as a kind of like a proof of concept for uh, for uh, Skinnamarink. I don't know if you watched that one. Um, I watched Heck before. I watched Skinnamarink no. in the theater. Actually, before I watched Skinnamarink, I watched a ton of these little uh, little videos, and I kind of got a, a good sense of what uh, you know his his style, his filmmaking style was. And the thing about Skinnamarink is that it's it, it it is an evolution of of what he's he's tested here, and it's surprisingly way more abstract than what he's presented in in these YouTube videos where it's usually like the other way around, like you kind of experiment on, you know, on YouTube. And then when you get to your first debut feature uh, that, that is screened, uh, you know, in festivals and in theaters 
across the country that that's usually your more, I don't want to say marketable, but like usually your more easy to digest <laughs> picture um, using all of the things that you've uh, yeah. learned uh, from, from making your, you know, your more experimental stuff. I think Kyle Edward ball does the opposite here. Um, I think he's after watching all these, I think he's found his voice with these felt with these, uh, with these shorts and really decided to just go all out with his debut feature. Now, Skinner premiered in 2022. It is considered a 2022 movie. It played in 2022 at festivals, but had its uh, limited release recently uh, in like January 2023. And that's when it was officially released. And funnily enough, during its screening, the film was actually leaked online. And that's where I first heard about this whole thing. And that's when people started to really talk about it because they watched it illegally. Um, and <laughs> oh. oh, legally. And that's when TikTokers got a hold of it. Like, oh, guys, you got to watch this new horror movie. It's one of the scariest things ever made. Skin and rank. And it, it made the rounds, I'll say, on TikTok, which made me feel a little apprehensive about the whole thing. Now, I'm not saying that this was by design. In fact, I think it's a known fact that this wasn't by design. But um, when I heard about all this, I was kind of dubious about that fact that it was leaked. And I was like, this sounds like it was planned to make this movie go viral. It's like nothing after, anymore. Yeah. But after learning more about this film and its budget especially... I kind of believe it um, because this movie was made for $15,000. Yeah, it's uh, nothing. And which is absolutely nothing. And impressively grossed like $2 million, I think, near $2 million, which is a pretty big success, I'll say. That is, yeah, huge. Yeah, so it, it it's made a profit and which which I was I, I was excited about because you know, a movie like this usually doesn't um, it doesn't screen and, you know, it it's kind of get then becomes, uh, you know, harder and harder to to get a hold of. But thankfully, we got Shudder and Shudder is the bomb. It is the best streaming service. Uh, and they picked up Skinamarink and now you can go watch it. Mm-hmm. You can go watch Skinamarink uh, on Shudder. And uh, while you're at it, watch everything else on Shudder because it's the goddamn best but watch skin and Marink first it's so good watch skin and Marink first and then listen to this podcast because we're going to be spoiling the shit out of it it's even funny to say spoil for this film because yeah i i don't really know how to spoil this film to be quite honest um so you can actually say yeah like what am i gonna say <laughs> what am i gonna say yeah that'll spoil like at the end uh <laughs> fucking like no I, that it's this movie is more of a sensory experience than it is a uh plot delivery uh experience um yeah yeah no it's it's a hard movie to spoil it's like it's like trying to spoil a racer head or something like what am i exactly gonna <laughs> tell you that'll ruin the experience like nothing you just have to watch it and it's funny i i would actually you know liken a movie like eraser head to something to to, to skin and marink but um 
like this is this movie is like when when you imagine like somebody taking you to a museum or making you sit down for like a student film uh, although I don't want to insult this and say it's like it, it, it the quality of this movie is higher than that but this is yeah. this you you're imagining the same thing like that's what this is it's I like, think what you mean is it um, is as soon as not like a student film but like a DIY project this isn't paranormal activity. This is not like oh. you're going to get a coherent plot that with like concrete characters. It, like most of it is just like imagery. Uh, it's just showing you shots of a house, yes. like different parts it of a is, house. It is. Is a, like it is a collection. That's what the majority of the movie is. Oh yeah, it's it's a collection of compositions, and it it is all yeah. meant to get across a specific feeling and we'll, and we'll get to you know what the you know what this movie invokes uh in you when we get to our our, our thoughts mm-hmm. the only <laughs> other background i i'd say about this film about uh, kyler edward ball is that um this movie was shot in his childhood home which makes oh my god the film feel very connected to the space and the way that this movie explores that space, I, I feel like is is done so much more effectively because this is the director's childhood home. Yeah, you can. That makes a lot of sense. I did not know that until you said that, but that makes a lot of sense because it really is mining a lot of like these intimate corners of a place that if you were just having to like seek out those areas yourself you might not notice them as easily if you grew up there your entire life and you knew oh my god i I used to sit in the living room and when the lights were out and then the tv was on this one corner behind you know the the kitchen table or whatever was like always freaked me out like you know immediately how you're gonna set up your shot (laughs) yeah it's like oh yeah this is gonna Um, really (laughs) you know where all the naturally eerie places are Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I can do that in my, in every place that I've lived in, I can point to places that have <laughs> freaked me the fuck out, including where I live now. Uh, do you, I mean, you've been to my apartment, you know, this the hallway that is, uh, Oh my has, gosh. Has my yeah. bathroom, uh, and the kitchen Your hallway is this movie. That hallway is right out of this movie. Um, I feel like the, a lot of, I just want to throw out there, for context, in your apartment complex, none of the doors don't have numbers on them. Like they don't have. There are a lot of doors that really feel like if you open them, there would just be a wall behind them. Yeah. Like yeah, no, some it's, doors it's don't very have very abstract. That there space. are there are some doors in my apartment building that don't have handles. <laughs> that don't have knobs, <laughs> and it's more of a. I, oh, this is something to, to really get on. Um, if you're a fan of liminal spaces then I think that this movie's worth giving a look-see. This is the movie for you. I know, because that's, that's a big thing right now. Um, and I actually kind of disagree with some of that. I, I, I imagine liminal spaces as being a lot more empty than what's being presented here, because in this movie there's a lot of clutter, and it seems to be a lot more uh, rinky-dink. That's skin of a rinky dink, uh, as uh, 
you know, unlike what I, I imagine uh, liminal spaces to, to be like, but I, I've seen so many, so many, so many people describe it as liminal horror. Um, so I, I guess there's something there, but um, by the way, I can maybe speak to why people think that is just like briefly. Like I, like I'm not, I'm not really up on the whole liminal space happening. Like you haven't I'm sure read on the, TikTok and yeah. for context. And, you haven't read the backrooms lore. No, I have not. <laughs> I don't know where I, I, I have not found that. I, it fi- I oh, it find, my experience with it that finds kind you. of stuff. In true, in true <laughs> uh, backrooms fashion, the Lord finds you. Um, uh, no, I, I mean, I'm mostly like scrolling TikTok or something like that. And then I liked the right videos. So the algorithm shows me like uh, someone's uh, 3D animation of yeah. some freaky series of hallways, impossible hallways or whatever. Yeah. You've, ca- you've carefully um, crafted your TikTok algorithm. Familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. By carefully, by, <laughs> I've com- by complete accident, uh, clued TikTok into the kind of fucked up shit that I'm into, I guess. I, I guess for me, experience with like the analog core of the internet and the liminal space stuff, what this movie taps into, I think is like where that same stuff comes from which is uh, the experience of like being an easily confused child and then you wake up in like your friend's house or you went out of state to visit your Mm. distant cousins or something and you wake up in a house or a place that is unfamiliar to you. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is the the, like probably went, went out to dinner or something. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it's, and yeah, I, I feel as if though, like, the real horror, I, I mean, we'll get to it when we finally get to like our impressions, but um, I feel like the real horror is in like not in unfamiliar spaces, but like spaces that you f- are usually find as comforting, but are, are twisted. Uh, and, and that that's the that's the more disturbing nature of it. Yeah. But anyway, we're going to get into our, you know, overall thoughts and feelings because, I you know, admittedly, like this is not going to be a movie for everybody. Um, and it's got some no. pretty, it has a pretty divided critical reception, I would say. And, and divided in a, finally, I, I think we have a movie that is divided audiences in an actual good way. Um, where one side is like, Hey, this movie is great. And then the other side is like, Hey, I respect the shit out of this, but man, I, you know, this wasn't for me. I feel like that's the two sides. Um, and I, I accept that as a, as a discourse and not, um, what we usually see out of, you know, our so-called controversial, uh, media nowadays, like actual discussion, actual discussion, or, you know, even not even, you know, one side wants to engage with it and the other side, you know, engaged with it and decided, you know, it's not for them. Yeah. Nobody's, uh, sending each other's, uh, Putting each other's addresses on yeah, there's no, the internet there's uh, no, as a form of discourse. Yeah, there's no culture war surrounding Skinamarink. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> before before we get into the film proper, I want to kind of introduce, like, what is this movie actually about? Um, I'm going to read the plot synopsis uh, provided by Letterboxd. Um, and actually, the 
The one on Shutter is a little bit longer, but I feel like the shorter version just gives you gives you just enough. The one on Shutter is like goes into a little bit of not spoiler territory, but like maybe tells you a bit too much. You know, depending on who you yeah. are, it might tell you a bit too much. So I'm just going to read the one provided by Letterboxd. Um, which, speaking of Letterboxd, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Schiffer Audio. Um, I log things pretty consistently on there. Zach, do you have a Letterboxd? I don't have a letterbox, but I do have a Mubi. M U B I Mubi. Where can they follow you on Mubi? Uh, I think Mubi? my account is uh that's just my my name, Zach Gilbert Mahoney. Yeah, you can follow people on Mubi. You can see my lists if you want. Uh I track <laughs> like every single movie and TV show that I've seen. Uh yeah. I also have a separate list of just like my absolute favorites out of the like over a thousand movies I've seen, I managed to whittle it down to like 180. God damn! <laughs> so far, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just gonna keep adding to those as I go. Yeah, I would never. Yeah, do so you that. can you can check it out there. I would never do that. <laughs> I don't. I don't review everything. That's why I'm not on Letterboxd. <laughs> I just, I just like chronicle that I have it. I have seen yeah. it, uh, but I don't. I don't write anything about it because yeah. that would be my entire life. Yeah, if you follow me on Letterboxd, I pretty much I don't like give full reviews i just do like little jokes <laughs> it's a bit machine basically it's, it's yeah. a bit it's a bit machine for me <laughs> it's the new twitter it's the yeah yeah thank god if we lose twitter at least we got letterboxd anyway i'm going to read the <laughs> plot synopsis from letterboxd uh two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished doesn't that doesn't that sell you immediately? Honestly, it kind of does for me. Yeah, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Uh, this movie stars Lucas Paul, uh, plays a four year old kid named Kevin, uh, and then Kaylee is played by Dolly Rose Tetralt. Uh, I may have butchered that name. Uh, Ross Paul plays the dad, and uh, Jamie Hill is the mother. It's kind of, I didn't know that the mother was credited mostly because i think the mother's involvement in the story is actually like an what i consider an actual spoiler uh for this film one of the few ones that i would say um yeah the synopsis just reads their father is missing nothing is said about them that there is a mother in the picture and i think that plays an integral role in the film uh but anyway let's get into our overall thoughts on Skinnamarink. Uh Zach, why don't you why don't you go ahead? Uh overall thoughts. So I I know this movie's very polarizing. I think I fall closer to the camp of people who um are fans of this movie. Um I was not ecstatic about it like a lot of people have been. Uh-huh. Um but overall I think I really enjoyed it. I really admire what it's doing i got something out of it um i think it was very effective at the thing that that um a movie like this i think is like super subjective all horror is subjective but this especially like all all film all 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 film all All film definitely all art but horror horror has this thing where it's like if you if you're not afraid of like open water, like Jaws is going to have no issue absolutely ruining you. 
mm-hmm. whereas other people might just shrug and go, oh, I didn't get the big deal. Um, and that just comes down to personal experience that this is just a movie where it's so specific, what it's about, its style, the way it's shot, the way it sounds, the colors, the use of darkness. Like if you are not, this movie washes over you and it's a vibe. If you're not hanging with that vibe, then oh yeah, it, it's just not going to work. Um, totally agree with that. So it's a movie that I can watch and enjoy as a filmmaker and watch and enjoy as an experience, but I wasn't scared of it the same way that uh, I think a lot of people are. Okay, are, Mr. Big Boy. Absolutely terrified of. <laughs> maybe, part, maybe part of that is that I watched this movie at home because it was in such limited release. It was really, really difficult to get access to a theater that was playing it. Like, Alex, I know you saw it at, in a theater, yeah. as you just said. And I think it's a way different experience seeing this movie in just a giant pitch black room and you're not able to look at your cell phone. You're not able to be distracted by sunlight coming in through your window or the sounds of people outside or whatever. Mm -hmm. I tried to control my viewing experience as much as possible. But for whatever reason, aside from like not jump scare moments, but standout moments, um, I wasn't really... I wasn't on the edge of my seat, terrified. I was, you know, my, I don't know. It just didn't hit me in that same way. Um, okay. But I still, like I said, I still really like the movie. Um, there's just other movies that I would say this is not. Some people have called this the scariest movie they've ever seen. Um, for me, it's not even like <laughs> Zach. Yes, Alex. This is the scariest movie I've ever, I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, this is one of the I, no, scariest I wanna, fucking I wanna, movies I wanna, I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I want to hear because this is so interesting to me because it's all about perspective. I want to get is. into the mind of somebody who is like, "What's going through your mind while you're watching this? Like, what is it that do you think scares you? Why do you think those wrong opinions? Why are you wrong? Why are you fucking wrong, dude? <laughs> um, not only is this the scary one of the scariest movies I've ever fucking seen in my life. Um, I genuinely think this movie's a, a fucking masterpiece of horror. Um and when I watched this movie, I I had a vision, Zach. I I stared oh I stared straight into the future of horror filmmaking. This right here, Skinamarink, this is the fucking future to me. Um this is the future. To me this is the fucking future. You know, kind of going back to what you're saying about it's all about perspective. I think a lot of art that you consume is totally circumstantial, totally circumstantial. The mood you're in at the time, just where you are in your life at the time, different art will mean something to you for right now where I'm at something like Skinnerink just, just smacked me over the head and is constantly, in fact, lingering with me and, and trying to, uh, murder me at every corner. Um, I have not stopped thinking about this film since I saw it. I saw this movie back in, in January. Um, I think like late January. I've I've never gotten these images out of my head. I think this movie was set up perfectly for me. That's why I'm, I'm saying like the you know the art you consume is very circumstantial. The space I was in during this film was perfect. When the lights go down in the IFC center, it's like pitch black almost. 
there are no lights when the movie starts playing. It is such a great environment to watch horror movies. So already that's amazing. Before that, uh, the movie was introduced to us um, by a uh, a writer. I think she worked for, uh, I think the Guardian, something like that. She worked for you know some uh, media outlet. Um, and she introduced the film. And at first, I will say, and no offense to her, but like, I didn't know if she did a great job introducing the film because this movie, you know, tells you so little up front and, you know, up front that it's, I, I understood that it was like hard to explain, but after watching the film, she actually set it up perfectly. And one thing that she said that really stuck with me was that in order to really engage with this film and in the fullest sense is you need to study every nook and cranny of each frame that you see and you will in a way create this sort of ritual with the film after you become a part of that ritual this movie is then out to get you in a very visceral way I, I was scared fucking shitless watching this movie, Zach. I, I start this movie started and I, I was doing what she said. I was, I, I immediately found it interesting just because of the aesthetic alone. Um, and my God, just as a, as a sound designer, I think this movie is almost downright inspirational. Kind of like the feelings that were evoked in me after I saw a movie like Eraserhead. Uh, and funnily, funnily enough, like Eraserhead, this movie has also uh, been directed and sound designed by by the director, and he uses a lot of techniques um, that aren't really that far out of the way from what I do normally um, in in my work. But just being able to hear all that presented to me um, from the screen, from the speakers to my ears. Um, made me feel a way I've never felt watching a film before. I've never seen anything like this. Believe me when I say that after, you know, this movie settles in and the true dread starts to creep its way up you, there is nothing scarier to me. I was literally sweating at one point. My chest started to feel like a little bit like pressure I started to feel my chest like tightening. I felt small, <laughs> literally felt small at one point during this film. And we'll get to the specifics of what, you know, this film is, is showing you. And I'll, I'll tell you exactly what, you know, when things really started to go wrong. I swear at certain points in this film, I could not look at the fucking screen. I this is one of the few films where I literally I didn't cover my eyes completely. I hovered my hand over my eyes. I hover them over my my hand over my like forehead and like tried to cover my like I was in position to cover my eyes because I could not bear to st- I I went from you know studying every little you know, nook and cranny of the frame to not being able to even stare, to not being able to even like stare at the screen. 
and and <laughs> there's like panic in my voice right now, just trying to remember <laughs> what I uh, what I experienced. Um, and it sounds like, oh my god, this must have been a fucking miserable nightmare. And it's like, yeah, it was, and that's why it was <laughs> fucking incredible to me, because this is a film that made me I like a film that fucking really put me in its space and really made me feel trapped by it. I was locked in that seat in the theater. I sat pretty close to the screen, by the way, which maybe also enhanced my experience. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of hard to get. I will say it's kind of hard to get good seats in the IFC center, depending on what theater you're in. Um, you have to show up pretty early. Uh, I'd say for some reason, we decided to sit pretty far up front maybe like third row i think i think that added a lot yeah i, I think like they were looking up at this like you know house of worship style yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like right up at this like i groveled i groveled at the feet of skin and Marink. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna sound i repented i <laughs> felt like i needed to repent after this film for nothing i don't know what i don't know i'm not guilty of anything <laughs> uh, i feel like i did something wrong um because this movie was trying to fucking get me for some reason it really did feel like the boogeyman was like trying to get me watching this fucking movie i like, swear to that's god why i respect it because i can i can tell that that magic is there it's it is this is why i said the the, the movie theater is magic and i i did watch this again all I could remember was when I watched this in the theater and how fucking out of my mind I felt by being, uh, you know, scared by this. And it it still works. Like, the, I'm li- literally, I'm, like, looking at a shot right now, and it's the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's literally a hallway. Um, <laughs> it's just a hallway. <laughs> um, one more thing is I think people are saying, uh, which is a, I kind of a, a sentiment that I... I, I sort of agree with but not for the reason you think is that this movie is surprisingly long it's an hour 40 which you know yeah. for a film like this you'd never expect it to go on uh, to go on that long but here's here's my case for it i think at some point i thought this movie was going to end in like seven different places and that's because i was i was not doing well <laughs> And I was in a place where I was desperate for this movie to just fucking end. Not because not because I was bored or it was going on too long or, you know, you know, anything that would, you know, basically require the feeling of like, oh, my God, this movie should just fucking end already. Like, I don't want to watch. I don't want to sit here and watch this anymore. In Skinnamarink, while I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God. Please end. I don't want to be trapped here anymore. And this movie just keeps going. It keeps trap. It keeps making you feel like you are this complete and utter child. And it has all the control over you. You don't get to say when this movie ends. It'll end when it wants to. Not only do I think that this movie actually goes further... I don't think this movie ends, you know, as soon as it says the end, uh, this, the movie does say the end as its title card. Um, 
which I mm. find kind of funny, but the things that it leaves with you afterward, the horror of Skinnamarink doesn't end. It never ends. It never leaves you. And I think it does that fabulously when it you when we start to really talk about its overall, you know, thematic importance, you know, and, and what it's really touching at. That's the that's the kind of shit that you leave a theater and never stop thinking about that forever. And there's to- there is not there are not a lot of films I can say that have made me feel that strongly. I've seen a lot of fucking amazing films, but I feel very very close to this movie in particular. That was such like a heap of praise and like I know it's like you know again like with horror I've been the guy who's been like oh my god this is so this is like the scariest scene of the year this is one of the scariest things I've ever seen and you know my partner or whoever has just been like um I don't I don't really get it I mean I like the movie but I don't really uh-huh. thought see why you thought that that was that scary um so I don't want to like no you're not invalidating without, without I, listen I don't I don't no, listen. Yeah, I don't, I don't need, want to rain on anybody's parade. Yeah, I, I listen. I don't need to be validated, <laughs> be- especially because you know I liked the movie. I really liked it, so I don't. I mean, I, I think yeah. I'll just say like you, you, you said that this film is the future of horror, and I agree, but not mm. in the literal sense, not in the way that. Um, yeah, I don't think it's because I want. I think all movies are going to look like this or yeah, all yeah. people are going to like, no, not like, every off skin and rank style. Exactly. No, I don't think every film, don't get me wrong. I don't think every film in the future should be an avant-garde horror experiment. You know, I think movies like this right. are special and come along every once in a while. And that's fine. Although honestly, when we right. talk about the, like it's just very recently we've had two cause we we're also going to talk about the outwaters uh very soon. Yeah. Um and I I have a feeling that that movie is going to scare but just you know based off of like the little bit of footage I've seen. Yeah. But I'm saying like I think that it follows a similar like DIY filmmaker gets to do what he wants for uh the length of a, a feature film. Um and that that kind of speaks to me. Um and I we we've had two now in the last two months of this year, twenty twenty three, um, that have showed us. I I feel like what the future of horror is going to look like. Um, for the past like ten years, I'd say we've we've gone through the. Uh, I fucking hate this word so much. The elevated horror phase, which is also kind yeah. of not true. Like, but the, you know, the films that really make, you know, the horror films that really make a landing are the ones, uh, you know, that are highly artistic, uh, you know, and not to say that other horror movies aren't artistic. There's art to virtually, you know, all horror. I, I yeah, feel. exactly. That's, that's but, so dumb. It's like, the, I mean, there's bad and good versions of everything. Yeah. But the elevated horror that, craze, like the a 24, you know, horror films that come out, ones made by like Ari Aster and Robert Eggers, those films that have really made a landing and really resonated with a lot of people over the years. And that's become their idea of what horror should look like. Um, Even though there's so much, 
you know, and those movies are great. I love all those movies. Uh, and there's so much horror history Most to really consume um, and to to really uh, inform you about what uh, what what horror should look like. But when I saw Skinnamarink, I feel like I, I saw a window into the future. And it's really the first time because the thing that shocked me about it was, oh, my God, this was like really the first time that I'm seeing one of these analog horror YouTube videos on the big screen. And it worked so effectively that I was like, this should be not everyone like this shouldn't. I don't want movies like this all the time, but I want movies to be inspired by this that maybe have more traditional narratives or, you know, you know, I want someone to I, I want a DIY filmmaker to take direct inspiration from this movie and make their own shit and it to blow up. That's what I feel like this movie is going to invoke with a lot yeah. of people. That's yeah, it's awesome for what it represents, like it for like from an indie perspective. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, I, I, again, this fits very well with your opinion about elevated horror. This movie we're we're, we're covering it on a found footage podcast, but technically. It's not found footage. No, it's not found this footage. This is not a it's movie not, it where doesn't somebody... Use, no, it doesn't use the found footage technique, but analog horror is a huge a huge part of it. And also, I feel like... I, yeah. I, I feel like well, this is well, also... That... this What this movie feels like is it feels like... And it sounds stupid. It feels like the start of a creepypasta. Like, th- like say you're reading a creepypasta, yeah. and it starts like someone... And it starts like, so, you know, my friend sent me this videotape and it was this movie. It was Skinnamarink. You know, my friend sent me this movie called Skinnamarink and it was all this collection. These, you're, you're like reading about the description of all the images that, that he saw. And that's the creepypasta. That would be the found footage. But Skinnamarink is in itself like the footage that someone might find to force them to 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 write about it and you know uh, on the internet you know on in like a creepypasta yeah well i i was just gonna say that like to skinnamarink's like uh, something favorable that skinnamarink has done is taken found foot like stylings and like the like some of the feel of like the analog stuff from found footage but because it's not actually found footage it doesn't have to deal with any of the restrictions of found footage where it's like oh we can't we can't have to explain this, so we can't get this shot because you would. Yeah, be they able never to, have to explain a up. camera. It just is. And they know? can light. They can have lights be in the house that are coming from nowhere. Like there's no reason a pink uh-huh. light should. Well, pretty much this entire movie. But is the, lit but by but not literally. <laughs> but that's almost impossible because it's like sometimes the TV is in the light is coming from positions that like there shouldn't be a light coming from if that makes yeah. sense like they're like some of the shots it's just like where where is this pink light coming from where is this <laughs> orange light coming from that's like strong enough to it's somehow getting the living room but also down the hallway and also upstairs <laughs> and they because they can just jump around because there's not actually a camera yeah you I get think, kind i think of he the, has i think the they make it a point like he has of analog horror I think they do make it a point that he has a flashlight at one point that the one of the kids had to oh. have a flashlight. Okay. Well, I just I just mean to say the movie is free to be more abstract with 
totally where what it wants to show you to be naturalistic Mm -hmm. it can be surreal like a racer head like it can be weird it's weirder whereas these other movies always have to be like well here there's that we can show you a ghost we can show you uh you know a a pair of keys moving across a table (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we can show you, can show you, you know, a, a cabinet falling over. We can show you a spooky ghost. Every movie is a <laughs> freaking, it's a fucking spooky ghost every single time. Yeah. And eventually that gets so normalized that it's not scary anymore. Well, I this mean, this movie doesn't this have to do that shit because it, I don't think this is a ghost movie. Is this I, a spooky I, ghost movie? I, I, Maybe. I mean, we will get I, into our interpretations of what the story of this, of the film actually is. I think they're dealing with something worse than a ghost. I, I mean, I don't yeah, know what yeah. it is, but like a ghost, a um, demon. But that's that's that restrict. You know, they they're able to do things like oh, all the windows and the walls are gone, and they show you like a weird flash of with a weird warbly sound yeah, effect, of, like the the door in the window phasing in and out of existence. And yeah, you know, I, did you like those effects? A certain level of realism. I did for what the movie was like I I because the movie was weird it was an yeah, experimental yeah. film so I I I've heard people I say that it was it like kind of goofy the, but sometimes goofy is I don't know what that is about horror but sometimes <laughs> goofiness makes it worse it actually yeah, kind of makes yeah. it scarier sometimes that was what I found uh, I found that true of like Nope uh, last year too like what's seen in Nope. Uh, there's just elements to it that are kind of like lighthearted or goofy and it makes, I mean, they're dealing with like a jet. There's a floating sand dollar in the sky that makes weird, (laughs) has certain noises coming out of it. And so good. There's just a surrealness to it. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, if this is scary to you, it's really scary. If it's not, it's not scary is just, um, something, kind of very bluntly horrifying but i actually think like sometimes um contrast of like goofiness and humor the stuff that like david lynch does a lot is yeah sometimes like freakier for some reason i don't know what that is like what that sensation is i don't know it just like sticks with you no yeah i, I totally comedy, like that, dark yeah. comedy movies are like stay think, with me in a way that <laughs> yeah no I, there is a, and it's funny i, I mean, like you mentioned like the comedy of because like i think there is one single moment of levity in this entire film and that's the toilet thing when the toilet disappears no, and they and they get and they grab buckets <laughs> and they they're like gross <laughs> That's the, I, I I thought that was really I thought that was kind of chart like not charming but like one of the few moments of uh, of levity in in this film and you needed one like because this movie, film is so yeah. goddamn dark. This movie is about fucking kids in in like being pursued by something. Yeah, well let's like let's talk movie, about real ass kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're four and they're actually like four years old. I think, which yeah. really is. When you know when you hear about that, this film becomes way more upsetting. Let's kind of get into our our thoughts on the, you know, what semblance of a plot that there is. And I actually think there's after watching it again, there's a lot more of a plot than I had initially suspected because I think I was so overcome 
with all with fear the first time watching it i was like this movie is about something i like it, that didn't matter to me the first time i watched it um the second time i watched it i was like okay there's like i was i was really trying to like get the you know get the story and and i feel like i did get it and i have my own theory as to what's going on here but let's kind of get into the events yeah, uh, of the film and what what happens in the film um, again, if you haven't watched Skin and Marink, I don't like, yeah, like, I don't know. Don't listen to this. I don't know. Don't listen to a, this podcast. If you haven't watched the film, you know, prior to it, cause I, I, I will, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not good at giving spoiler warnings. I just kind of talk. I just kind of talk about the film, but yeah, we're going to get into the, you know, major events of this film. This film kind of starts and immediately sets the tone with you know it, it its structure you immediately get the sense that you are in the pov of the children i think at all times the camera is only like a few feet off the ground which makes things seem really really big and the first like shot that you really get is the shot of a, a brightly lit room probably the brightest thing most clearly lit thing you'll see in this entire film is this uh, kind of like a playroom and then a dark with a, a dark hallway. And I feel like that kind of sets up what the aesthetic is going to feel like at uh, at all times. And I'm immediately getting the sense like the, the doorway that you see in the first uh, shot gives you this sense that, you know, everything is going to be to this scale because everything looks ginormous in this film. Because uh, when you're a child, like thing, like everyday things look really, really big, and I think the film, you know, consistent does a consistently good job uh, communicating that. But really, the inciting incident of this film uh, is the the little boy Kevin is staring up at this doorway, and you kind of get the sense that he's looking at something, but you don't know what. It is also it's also one of the few scenes that you see a full body of someone. Um, most most of this film, you don't really see a lot of. Uh, I mean, you don't see any faces at all, except for maybe the end. Um, you see somebody who's missing a face. You see someone's missing a face. We'll get to that. Holy Jesus fucking Christ! But this is the first you see this boy. Um, you see Kevin, and he's looking up at this doorway. You kind of hear him talking to it or talking to it. You don't really know what it is, but you hear him talking and he basically falls down the stairs. Now, you don't know if something like told him to do it. I I don't think, Um, but he falls down the stairs uh, and things go dark for a bit and you hear the father uh, on the phone. Basically, the point of view is like you're still downstairs and you're hearing the father upstairs uh, which I think is actually a really bit of a good moment of uh, of of sound design. And a note on the sound design here is that all of the dialogue actually in this film completely ADR'd. Uh, it's all ADR'd in the house. It's not done in like a studio or anything. They recorded all of the sound, all of the dialogue separately in the house. So just so that they could get the mm-hmm. actual like S- the the correct air, they correct. Yeah, so uh, it sounds like they're coming from this, you know. The, yeah, it sounds so. It sounds like the dialogue is coming from the same room, and films rarely get the opportunity to mm. to do that. I think uh, to record the dialogue on on set. 
Um, I think I read in, 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 in an interview that this film was done entirely with MOS in mid out. So you don't, if you don't know that mm. it's mid out sound, but they basically didn't record sound on set at all. All of the hiss and hums, uh, all of the room tone and dialogue, it's all added in, in post, which I think is, is really impressive. Um, what? Cause I think, what? oh that, my God, yeah. that sounds like such a headache. Yeah, well, what that does, why, this is why I think that this movie is almost downright really inspiring to me as a sound designer. Uh, what they do here is genius um, because this movie is all about inference, right? You know how they say, like, you know, you go to, you read any fucking book about filmmaking, you read it or you go to film school, you'll probably hear a million fucking times that, you know, oh, sound is half the picture. It's 50% of the picture. I believe that. But, there is also more. <laughs> I think sound is is more to the film than what you init- than what you kind of per, you know perceive. What, what what sound does to the picture, you know, the image can evoke something, but the sound puts it into reality. And what this film does fucking masterfully is it sets up all these little inferences. It shows you all these shots. Of, of darkness, of random rooms in the house, of hallways. It suggests something. Those suggestions probably lean more towards, you know, the unknowing sense of, of the film because you know, the film is, you know, is not showing you a whole lot. When you feel overcome with dread and the film is suggesting all of these dark things, all these dark happenings, the sound gives a soundtrack to all of those dark inferences, all those dark suggestions that might be running through your head, providing it, you know, all this hum uh, and hiss. And, and you might be thinking like hum and like hum and hiss are the, are two completely different things. You have the high end hiss, you have the low end brr, like hums and that creates room tone. Now, naturally room tone is barely ever called attention to in film because it's just kind of supposed to set you in the space. It's kind of a bed for, you know, dialogue to happen between characters. But a technique that's used by uh, David Lynch, and I, I also use this myself, is the room tone is heightened and it invades the space. Like I know that in Eraserhead, it's supposed to invoke a, you know, an anxious, intimidating feeling. And I think Kyle Edward Ball does a similar thing here. And I think he does it to a more uh, extreme sense. He's using it to to set all of those suggestions to life, basically. It becomes a part of the film when it's given this this sound design. I think it's I think it's really incredible. You'll also hear all the time, show don't tell. You'll hear show don't tell a million fucking times. What I think is equally as important is don't show suggest, which this film is all about. And I think it really speaks to the way that this, you know, film presents its its story. You know, there, there's a clear story here. It's just it's suggested, you know, bringing more of your own interpretations and imagination. You know, if you could do that 
you know, without revealing too much or without, you know, leaving you completely in, in chaos, then then I think you've done a great job. And I, I've never felt once in this film that this movie was too chaotically ambiguous. I didn't feel that way at all. No, I, I, I chaotically ambiguous. No, no, I think it all like it's the perfect amount of I don't, I don't know what to say, like style versus substance. Like it doesn't really need those things because it yeah. doesn't operate. Well, I think it the, doesn't operate off of them. Like, well, the aesthetic is the storytelling to me. You know, yeah, I think that goes for a lot of yeah. Films they're too. they're interwoven like really well. Like they're they're yeah. very. You'll hear you'll hear style over substance also in a lot of critical spaces, and I think that's also a oh god misleading. Uh, yeah, I think that's also a misleading uh, statement. That's like people who don't know don't have like a better thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, let's get more into this. It was only covered like one plot point so far as the so the kid falls. You don't really know the severity of his injury, but the father is on the phone. Um, he's talking upstairs to someone. You don't know who. And he says something like, you know, he's OK. You didn't even need stitches. So they so the father, you know, seemingly took him somewhere and brought him back. After this happens is this is when. All of the windows and doors start to disappear, and you get that effect, that boom. And they don't know what's going on. The kids are wandering around the house, and they notice that their father is missing. But what they do is they kind of set up the TV, this one TV. You'll see a lot of this uh, like living room space, basically. They set up this TV, and they start just watching random not really random because I think every film shown is specific to what's kind of going on, but they start watching these old, uh, Fleischer, I think is the name of, uh, these old Fleischer cartoons. They're old, um, old, old, old. I'm I'm meaning like 1920s, uh, 1920s, 1930s, uh, old cartoons, which are in themselves in any context are terrifying. Just normally, yeah. Normally, are, you put you throw one of these on, and it's terrifying. So they start watching yeah. these cartoons just to find some semblance of comfort. Um, and I think what the movie communicates exceptionally well with these scenes in the uh, in the living room with the TV is this overwhelming sense that the space that you naturally think is the safest place is actually the one that's being the most corrupted and that everything around you, the surrounding darkness that encapsulates this space is creeping in more and more and more. And you're never really safe there. And even if it's the place that you find uh, the most familiar, I mean, have you ever got, have you ever kind of been in that? It's funny to ask, but like, have you ever been in that situation where like a spit has this ever happened to you has this ever happened to you if skinnamarink ever happened to you um has no has (laughs) it ever happened to you like you're in a you're in this space that you find comfort in but has has been corrupted by something like in a like in a figurative sense yeah i mean like i've had times where i've like disassociated and that's definitely kind of like what this yeah feels like um yeah no definitely i've had like those the, these creepy moments usually it's somewhere outside of my own home 
that I'm unfamiliar with. Like you're in, I don't know, just like a school hallway or like a hospital hall. Like you know, I did these moments where you're in these like different facilities and you're there too long. You stayed at the work off the, the office at work too long. And, yeah. Um, yeah. We're, yeah. The those office... unfamiliar spaces are like just horrifying. Well, I'm talking like the familiar um, spaces are all can, or I think is what the movie's trying to communicate. The familiar spaces can also be horrifying when they're warped in this, in this sort of way. I think that happened to me more often when I was younger. Um, to- absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's so easy for that to happen when you're younger. Cause you're so used to like the presence of an adult being mm-hmm. around. Um, and so those times where you're like left home alone or something on a school day or whatever it is. And you're just, you're the only one in the house. There's an immediate like alien quality to it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas now I think as adults, we tend to have more security. We tend to know if something goes wrong, we could probably handle ourselves a little bit better. Um, and as a kid in the back of your mind, there's always that thing of like, I'm supposed to be protected at all times. Yeah. Um, I think this movie really touches on that too, uh, because there's no, it's, it's like, what if, you know, there was a kid, the kids were alone with no adults. How would they perceive their surroundings without an adult you know, supervising them without an adult watching them. And I feel like that confusion is visualized in Skinnamarink. Yeah. That is the style of the movie is like looking through, not literally looking through the eyes hole, eye holes of a a confused child, but like taking the essence of that and visualizing it. Yeah. Uh, Getting further into story here. uh, I want to touch on a little bit. I think what, watching this movie in the theater really accentuated was that each frame, each new frame has this sort of warped darkness. I think that, uh, that noise filter that's been put over now, it was shot on like new equipment, I think, but all of this, all the look of this film was done in post-production. Um, so that noise that you keep seeing and when it's completely pitch black, uh, is, is added afterward. Um, and I think it's really effective um, when you're just looking at the darkness. I was going to say, always, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and the darkness, it looks like, is always moving, um, which really yes. adds to adds to the There's overall There's specific feel. shots where it's like, this is 100% intentionally, there's supposed to be a guy there. Like, there's a yeah. few shots where you look, and, and the way that the noise moves... It's like just the right amount of movement to not show you anything, but enough to for you to know there's somebody, there's something standing like right there. Absolutely, but I can't tell yeah. for certain. I was st- I was looking for it for uh, so. That's a really cool. Absolutely, yeah. I was looking and I was looking for that for so long. I was like, oh my god, there's someone here. There's someone here, and, and that's what's playing in your head the entire time when you're looking at these at these uh, at these shots and it's kind of reminiscent of what you just see in normal darkness i mean if you've ever been wandering around a dark house uh and you see things out of the corner of your eye that's kind of what this film is invoking yeah no it is like the i i saw my coat hang my jacket hanging on yeah the doorknob in the middle of the night and i thought it was a dude uh, yeah i mean We've we've all been there. Um, so what happens next is there is a voice 
that calls out to the children while they're watching TV. It speaks to Kaylee first. And the voice tells Kaylee to come upstairs. And this sequence right here, Zach, is where I started really start to feel this film take a hold of me. Kaylee goes upstairs. She goes into her parents' room. And her father, who they found, I guess, is sitting on the bed. The f- image itself, kind of scary. Like, imagine you're entering a, a, like a completely dark room and your father is, you're staring at the back of your father's head. He's looking away and he's just sitting at the edge of the bed. Like, what, what, what does that, like, what does that invoke? Like, what feeling does that invoke? Really started to feel this film take a hold of me in this sequence here. What happens is the father tells Kaylee to look under the bed. And of course, you're like, as soon as you hear that, you're waiting for the moment. Like, oh my God, what's going to jump out at me? What's going to happen? And the answer is nothing. So she looks under the bed and nothing really happens. But all the anticipation is just washing over you. And she looks back up. She's like, there's nothing there. And the voice of her father says to look again, (laughs) look, look again. Uh, And she does it again. And I'm like, oh, my God, this needs to end because I'm already feeling like (laughs) someone turn off the film. Someone turn off the film immediately because this is too much. And as soon as she, she looks under the bed again, as soon as she looks back up, her mother is sitting at the other end of the bed. And the father, I think, is gone. The mother's sitting at the other end of the bed. Again, you can only see the back of her head. She is facing away from Kaylee. Once the mother starts to come into the picture, I think I, I have finally started to understand a little bit more what this movie was getting at. Because um, as I said, like in the synopsis of the film, it says that they're trying to find her, their father who's missing. Nothing is mentioned about the mother. Only little bits, you only get little bits of information about the mother through the kids. I, I think there's a part in the movie um, a little bit earlier where um, they say, like, why is mom crying? And you hear that and you're like, wait, where's where's the mother? Yeah, where is the mother in all this? And you see the mother sitting at the other end of the bed. And she says something like, you know, we love you very much. And all this vague shit kind of sounds vaguely reminiscent of like a mother before she either a tells you that they're her, uh, they're getting a divorce or that she's about to like kill the cats or something. <laughs> but what happens is she gets up and goes into the closet, I believe. And all you hear, it lingers on the shot for a, a Long time, as it does with every fucking shot in this entire movie. Yeah, yeah, the shot lingers for a number of seconds. <laughs> and um, what you hear is this bone crack. And when I first saw this, I was like, what the fuck is happening? You hear bones cracking. And one of my first thoughts for some reason was, was I was like, oh, she just killed the father. But after watching the film again, I don't think that's what happened. Um. What happens is you hear a bone cracking, like something like a neck snap or something, um, and a hand jumps out of the doorway, and that's one of the first proper jump scares 
Um, there is one actually earlier on. There is another jump scare, but it's not. I won't. I won't say it's like a cheap one, but it's the one where the doll is floating on the ceiling, um, and then and then Kevin comes in and is like, "Hey, well, we need to look at the toilet." <laughs> um, and she kind of gets scared of, uh, of that. That's a little bit of a jump scare, but this is a totally earned jump scare in my opinion uh, with this little semblance of a hand coming out of the doorway. We can talk about what this, all this means uh, in a bit when we're done, like summarizing the plot. She is basically trapped there. I don't remember if she goes back downstairs, but basically Kevin is still downstairs and starts looking for Kaylee and the voice, the mysterious voice tells Kevin to go down to the basement. Another, it's funny because like all these things that we find naturally scary, like, Hey, look under the bed. Hey, go to the basement. Those are all naturally scary places. And especially when you're a kid, like what are the scariest places when you look under the bed and when you go into the scary basement and it's what this thing is telling them to do. And what happens is Kevin finds Kaylee and what ends up happening is you see one of, in my opinion, the most effective jump scares I've ever seen. Uh, and it's, it sounds weird. Like I've just talked about two jump scares in a row and it's like, oh, is this movie just full of jump scares? It's like, no, but like time passes uh, between these jump scares, but they happen not that long after each other. Um, this movie's not full of jump scares. I would say there's three insanely good jump scares in this movie and this is i i think the best one kevin finds kaylee and she has no face and you heart you hear yeah this squeal and i remember being in the theater i it was maybe the first time i audibly gasped and jumped in my seat while watching like when a jump scare happens this was this was terrifying I, what would you think about the you know the way that this film used jump scares uh, I, yeah, there's only a few and I thought that was like one of the more effective ones that definitely got me. I don't, I think it was tempered by the fact that I didn't really know who I was looking at. So I think if I had, I didn't realize on my first watch in that moment that that was Kaylee until the, whatever the entity is later says that explains that it took her face or her mouth. Yeah. It had her to take eyes, her face away. Yeah. It took her mouth and her eyes. And then I retroactively understood, oh, that was Kaylee earlier. I thought it yeah. was the mom or something again. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think if I had, if it had hit me like that, it would have been like even more effective. But uh-huh. uh, yeah, no, I thought that was pretty spooky. There's there's, there's like there's like one other like <laughs> we haven't mentioned because it happens later, but it like, you know, barely matters. There's one other jump scare that's kind of goofy. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah it's, that like got me but i was like oh god yeah, damn like you were scene. angry that it got you um but the yeah i was like oh my god really i can't believe that was <laughs> I, I didn't expect it to be a jump scare yeah well we'll get to that um, in, a, in a, just like a, this but yeah, it we'll was get, like we'll get to that in just a bit um uh so th- this jump scare happens and this is really where the film starts to delve into fucking madness kevin uh, comes back upstairs and something we haven't mentioned uh, before, but uh, all of the toys that they're playing with, all the Legos, some of the even the furniture is being stuck to the wall. Like very early on, actually, there's a chair on the ceiling 
uh, inexplicably, and you don't really know why. Throughout the film, the entity, whatever you want to call it, is just completely messing with them and is is taking away the toys uh, very slowly and basically nailing them to the wall. Um, like especially the the TV, like the back wall of the TV is has just all this clutter of children's toys nailed to it. And it gets to the point where there is just so much crap um, on the ceiling that it just looks like trash. Um, it's it's kind of uh, I, I find it kind of a funny image, but in a definitely in a, in a spooky way. One of the most upsetting things in this film uh, happens next, and it's when uh, when the entity tells Kevin to put a knife in his eye, uh, and he does it. You know, and, and you even see like the drawer, I think, fly open. Not fly openly, but it just opens. Kevin grabs the knife, and he you, you just hear his screams, basically. And it's really, really, it's it's a way to do yeah, it's, it's a way to do kid violence. Fun. In in a in an interesting, it's a way to do like violence against a kid in an interesting way, or, or tasteful. I, I guess it's not showing anything, but you are what it's doing is enough, basically. Yeah, it's it's, and I, I don't think a lot of people are going to need a lot. <laughs> like a child screams, uh, like is like one of the worst things you could possibly hear. Yeah, um, especially when that's actually four years old. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's suggestive. Like yeah, like there's there's at least like. Uh, three or so instances if you're including the face missing as like what you could call violence against children in the movie and like none of it is like on camera or anything like that like it's all and and some of it you could almost like wonder if it's really happening the way that that it's shown to you yeah that that part was like that was definitely one of the freakier parts of the movie. Was to and there is a surprising amount of gore in this film as well. I didn't really expect any blood to be shown uh, in this film, but you see like little sem- semblances of blood uh, on the. Uh, there are some shots where you see blood on uh, on the drawer, mm. and even that, like that, just you know, that kind of punches you a bit. There is another scene with blood in a bit, um, which I have a lot of thoughts on. Before that. Uh, after Kevin seemingly uh, like stabs himself in the eye, what happens after that is the house basically completely turns upside down, and this is really supposed to signify the the, the entity like really taking over and, and warping the space. Um, you see the house upside down. I think you get a an establishing shot of the house that's like this little dollhouse in this room of complete nothingness, which, you know, is very thought provoking. Um, I think what I read an interview that said um, that they, they, they filmed specific rooms in the house, but the garage most notably was like their production design room. So I think shots like this happened. There are shots that were designed in the garage. Um, Funnily enough, um, it gives me vibes of, I don't know if anyone's, if you've ever read the book house of leaves, that's kind of no, what this uh, something like this is invoking. Basically, House of Leaves is about. Well, it's about a lot of things, but it's basically you know to describe it simply, it's a book within a book, and the book that this person finds are is a fake book uh, about a hallway that is impossible, and 
I uh, that's something that kind of I, I get a sense of uh, when when watching a scene it, that, that that's when it poured over me like oh this is really a lot this is a lot like the Navidson the Navidson record in in House of Leaves uh, when when you see the uh, upside down hallway and the establishing shot of the house in in seemingly nothingness did those images make you any that like remind you of anything uh you know specific no not really i uh no i honestly i didn't invoke any that was not like there's there's a lot of images in the movie that do kind of recall personal experiences that i've had but uh-huh. that was not i don't think that was a moment that i like had a strong reaction to mm-hmm. um but yeah basically after that that's when there's this 911 call and this 911 call is pretty devastating basically kevin picks up the phone and this is the first time that there's any real semblance of an outside world he uh dials the phone he dials 911 and someone answers and it's the first time you're hearing another voice um that isn't you know the the children's or or this uh, or this you know entity he, yeah, I, I think this this phone call scene is is pretty devastating, but nothing comes of it. He even says like, well, "There are no doors here." I think. Um, <laughs> I don't know well, how, how to get out. I don't know yeah. how to get out. Like, there's no doors here. I, I think that's when the. Oh my god. That is when the mother comes back into the picture, uh, and you see the back of her head. And she is now, I think that this is when like the TV turns off and she, uh, yeah, she's like standing there kneeling down in front of it. When, when this happens, I felt like just seeing the back of the mother's head was so, so much. It was this, this, it was terrifying. Just seeing a a human person (laughs) appear in the, in the frame again, in, in the picture. Especially when it's the back of someone's head, uh, someone with like long hair, it's very striking to see after just so many shots of just hallways and corners of rooms and stuff. It's it's really quite jarring, um, and that's kind of where you get sense like, oh, the mother is a pretty big player in all this, huh? This is when the this fucking phone appears. Goddamn, this fucking phone. Um, if you've ever seen the movie, I don't know if anyone's, I don't know if anyone's seen this, this phone toy before. It's kind of recognizable. If you've ever seen Toy Story 3, Woody interacts with this phone. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah. It's like an iconic, like 90s, maybe even older. It's probably, yeah, maybe like an 80s toy. It's probably like a. Yeah, I would imagine it's like actually really old. Um, yeah, it's like it's like some kind of like Fisher Price looking ass <laughs> a phone with like a face on it, um, like a, a just one of those fake. Um, oh my god, I forget what they even call them. The I had one in my house. The the wind up own. I'm showing my age. Like the <laughs> dial up phones or whatever they're called. What are those things called? Dial-up phones. I I don't even think my house ever had the ones where you had to put your finger in and like spin. A rotary phone. Rotary phone. That's what it is. Rotary phone. Yeah, we had a rotary phone in our house for uh, a hot minute. Yeah, it's it's a toy rotary phone with like a face on it. And 
I mean, specifically, you see the way the shot works is you see darkness and you see these like three little like lips in the dark. You you barely even like lips. register them. I was like, am I seeing like eyes or something? Oh, you and are then seeing a light the comes eyes. on and you realize you realize you see you're you're looking at the eyes of the toy. And you're like, OK. And so you're just staring at this like a full 10 seconds, just like right at staring this phone. At eyes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Dun! the eyes just invert and a loud screech noise happens. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And it smiles at you. And yeah. I felt so <laughs> fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. I, I was one, terrified by this because that one at, was just in there as a joke. Yeah. Well, I was terrified by this because at this point I I'm full, I'm in full shelter, mo- like seek shelter mode. I'm in like, you know, I'm at my worst basically. My half my fucking hand is above my eyes. It's it's not it's not pretty. Uh, so when this jump scare happens, I was like, God damn it, fuck yeah. uh, uh, you know, it really scared the fucking it scared the bejesus out of me. And I think that these eyes that happen, I I, I think that we'll, you know we'll get to like what everything means in in a sec. But these eyes that you see, I think, are actually what the entity is, um, and that when it the light turns when the flashlight turns on again it takes the form of this object of this phone because the phone is not established anywhere else but toward the end of this film so i think it's using the phone as a way to fuck with uh mm. as a way to fuck with uh kevin but yeah so after that the movie does something really fucking vile um i think what happens is that it establishes this time that it loops basically these buckets of blood that are being shed across the floor ceiling the floor that is now the ceiling and it you're all you're hearing is a child's like the, the the entity has now gotten the kid and you just hear a child screaming as a bucket of blood just gets shed across the ceiling floor it rewinds and then it happens again and it happens again and it happens again and you're just forced to look at this for way longer than seems like seems way longer than seems nice you know (laughs) it it really this scene i think stuck with me the most out of uh out of anything else uh depicted here uh what did you think and then at the end he calls out for it right he calls out for his mom right at the end of the moment too for just he does yeah oh fuck yeah it's so sad um, and what could actually be happening is that it could, I mean, we'll get to what everything means, obviously, but uh, maybe you could be seeing the mother uh, doing whatever she's doing and she's calling out, he's calling out for her or it could just be like, mommy, mommy, I'm being fucking savagely mutilated by a fucking entity. I, yeah, it's really sad. I forgot to mention during uh, when the f- house is, flipped upside down uh the movie t- cuts t- uh cuts to a card that says 572 days later uh which yeah. takes you really off guard You're like, oh my god um like just the amount of time that has uh seemingly passed by just completely escapes you and then this this title card comes up to throw everything off because you think that this is all just one fucked up night and it's it's not basically the movie ends with this shot of a weird 
doorway. It, it kind of is like a, it looks like a painting of a doorway, honestly. Um, but inside of this doorway is this face. It is a completely pitch black frame with some semblance of a face and sort of like the middle left. I think there's definitely something there. I think it's probably the mother as the entity. And basically the kid calls out and asks, what is your name? And he asks it a few times. He says, what is your name? What is your name? And the movie goes, the end. That's it. You're free. <laughs> That's it. Thank you for watching. What what did you think about the you know all the the ending of uh, of 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 the film the here? Stuff. Uh, yeah, it kind of like opens it up at the end there because I mean we just it's funny because we just said that the kid asked what is what is your name after we just described a scene in which we think that the kid might have been horribly mutilated, so it's like. It's not very clear time-wise if this if at this point we are in like a linear you know, Absolutely not. like are we in a different dimension now? Like what's going on? Like why is the kid alive? Did the kid actually die? Like what was that the kid crying out in pain? It seemed like it. I mean, they're definitely in like some sort of void because we're seeing an end like endless hallways with yeah. the toys in it and well, let's get. Well, let's you know, get. Let's, yeah. Well, let's get to the, like your your interpretations of of the story here. Like, what what do you what 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 is? I, what, I mean, what my interpretation. I am not entirely sure. I mean, I have a very simple interpretation, which is just that these kids are in a house, which at the beginning of the movie is a normal house, and then at some point, some there's some higher power which I think we can say is malevolent, takes over the house, but not in like a spooky ghost kind of way where it just kind of is floating around invisibly. Yeah, it like, seems ooh. to actually, like, ooh, watch out for me. Like, uh, I, it, it, it seems to like literally transport the house, slowly, slowly corrupt the house and take it, and takes it to another plane of existence, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, where that the would kids explain are the, that like would, 572 that, yeah. days. That would explain the, sort of uh, establishing shot that I was saying of the uh, the house that makes it look like a dollhouse in this, like, endless yes. void, basically. Yeah, the house is, like, in an endless void. You see that at the end, right? Um, yeah, toward the end. And to me, it just seems like once you get into that really abstract imagery territory towards the end where we're seeing the house distorted in this weird way, I think I think they're just in a completely different realm of, like, existence, like... Mm-hmm. I think the mom was dead before the story even started hmm. because they say when the father disappears early on in the movie, uh, I think it's, yeah, they, they say, I don't want to talk about Kevin. Mom. Well, they specifically say Kevin asks Kaylee where she thinks their dad went. Kevin says, maybe he went with mom. Mm-hmm. And I think you can take that literally to mean out to the grocery store. Or <laughs> I think it means that to hell. To, yeah, to hell. <laughs> like, their mom is dead but via normal means or whatever. Or, or we don't know. But I think their mom is dead. They understand that she's dead. And they were living in that house with their dad. And then their dad is taken 
or disappears for whatever reason, obviously due to this malevolent entity, and the kid is suggesting maybe he went to, you know, heaven or the afterlife or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what he's saying. Because the way that they shoot the mom and the way that the kids react to the mom kind of feels like the mom isn't supposed to be there. Like, yeah. Like we only hear the father or we only, we only kind of understand the father to be like a literal person who's supposed to actually be there and isn't. Um, yeah. I mean, he's whereas, the person that they're, they're trying to look for. Yeah. And why aren't they looking for their mom? You know? Yeah. But it's like, Oh, don't mention. Yeah. But, but Kevin's like, Oh, don't mention mom. I think there's also a scene where I think, Kevin I think says, why happened. is mom crying? Do you remember that? Oh, does, does he say that? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think you're right. Like throughout the entire film, they they seem very like off guard that that their mother is in the picture, and I, I felt that way throughout the the basically the the entirety of the film. Like the mother feels like she's not supposed to be there. Yeah, the mom. They don't really pull that same stuff with the dad that they pull with the mom. Whenever you see the mom, it's like it's supposed to be creepy that she's there, you know, yeah. at all. And my assumption, especially when you get to that scene where she's sitting on the bed, is that. That's like her ghost or something. Like that's her mm-hmm. spirit, or it's making a yeah. no, it makes whatever sense. this like thing she is, is making an imitation. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense because she basically appears out of nowhere uh, after Kaylee looks yeah. under the bed. And we never, we never really see it have that ability to do that with anybody else or anything else. It's not really ever able to like control people in this literal way. Like it, it can take the it takes the daughter's face away, but it can't hypnotizer or anything like that all of that kind of makes me think like the mom was already kind of dead to begin with and was brought here yeah i never thought of that actually like the the mother being dead before the movie takes place i mean maybe Um, it doesn't help that the description of the movie also says two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing yeah and doesn't say anything about a mom that's what always maybe that also yeah uh maybe that also kind of set my expectations yeah i expected um, there not to be a mother and then a mother shows up and it's like oh what's she doing <laughs> yeah so yeah so i think i think there's some weird dimension hopping shit happening that is why simultaneously you can see a scene where the kid is supposedly in physical danger and is being killed and a lot of blood is coming from somewhere mm-hmm. and then in literally like two minutes after that the kid is talking well what do you think um, about the looping blood like he he's getting killed over and over again. I think. Yeah, th- this that was that. Yeah, that was kind of my interpretation. Was like, well, it, it it doesn't just loop. It like phases in and out of existence. It's mm-hmm. weird. It's almost like you're screaming and you see blood, and then it's it it does a little hiccup or a skip, and you see a that same shot. The fact that there that it skips in between the shot where. There is blood, and then there isn't blood in Screaming. It, uh, what I took away from that while I was watching it, that was that sort of dimension hopping stuff, was that yeah. that is simultaneously happening and not happening. just depends on the reality. Because yeah, clearly there, we're is past there even the realm a, of reality. Exactly. Like, is there even a reality in this film being depicted? I think at the beginning there is, and I think it's slowly, slowly like churning away. I think it's slowly, yeah. slowly being kind of like, digested almost i think like the phone call to the outside is real you know that he makes yeah. when he makes the 911 call i don't think 
by the time you get to the end where he's going up the stairs there in Kansas anymore. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're not. Well, I think they're in Canada, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mistake. Yeah. We're not in Canada anymore. We're not in Campbellby anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm um, sick. Yeah, I think there's so much. I think everything the, the mother is such a major variable in this in this film. It, it, it's kind of at the center of deciphering what the film is actually about or what what's actually like happening in, in the story. Um, like is the mother a vessel for the entity and the entity starts to take hold once the, you know, cause remember there's a scene where the mother goes into, into the closet and the neck snaps. There's a, there's like a neck yeah. snap, a bone crunching. And you know that, that, that sound effect is, a, is, you know, is accentuated. It's, it's specific. It's supposed to represent a major change in the, in the story. I, there, there's many interpretations of what, uh, what I think is happening here. I don't think it's any one thing in particular. No, uh, I'll shed a light onto some theories some people have. Uh, number okay. one, yeah, this could be a visual representation of a coma, because if you remember at the beginning mm. of the film, because uh, at the beginning, at the beginning of the film, uh, Kevin falls down the stairs, and the film could be his coma. Okay. Now okay. I will say I, and out of every interpretation of the film that I have, nothing about the actual inciting incident of him falling down the stairs really plays a major factor. I I don't really know what what that inciting thing is supposed to really mean. I think it can mean a, a whole ton of things. The, it always I always go back to like, okay, but him falling down the stairs. What does that have to do with you know this thing, this thing, this thing, the mother, the entity. Uh, what does that have to do with uh, him falling down the stairs in the beginning? I'm yeah. I'm my, not my sure. only interpretation is that is like the beginning of the influence, right? Yeah, because it like speaks to people. It does speak to them, and and it seems like before you know, obviously makes him. Yeah, and it seems like before the movie uh, really starts, because uh, you get that shot of Kevin in the hallway looking up at the doorway, and it's like, is he? And he's supposed to be sleepwalking, but is the Entity, you kind of question like, okay, is the entity maybe uh, speaking to him in this moment? We don't know. The yeah. coma thing, though, makes a lot of sense, especially toward the end, because there there are shots, I think some of the shots that really absolutely terrify me after the fact are uh, certain photographs in the house that seemingly have no face uh, or have a, a warped face to them. Those pictures might be representing uh, Kevin slowly losing his memory. And the last shot of the, seemingly the mother in the darkness and him asking, what's your name, is him forgetting his mother? Mm. Or he's speaking about himself. What is your name? I can't remember my name. It could be about the mother. It could be about himself. I think that makes sense. That's in a cool. way, that's a cool it, interpretation. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of like it. it kind of reminds me of. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that album, uh, "Everywhere at the End of Time," that's supposed to represent uh, dementia and the loss of memory. Uh, that album by the Caretaker. Uh, have you ever listened to that or know anything about that? No. 
In fact, a, a lot of things in this film kind of reminded me of like a visual representation of of uh, the, an album like this. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, um, it's this six-hour album um, about... Oh. It basically uses a sample and then has the sample deteriorate over six hours until it becomes uh, this warbling space of emptiness and you hear that sonically and it's devastating and it's supposed to represent dementia made by the caretaker i highly recommend you listen to it even though it is a very tough experience to get through and i would kind of say the same thing about skinner inc i feel like the those two those two works of art are related in some way and I think if you're going to go with the interpretation that this is about a coma, the loss of memory, I think uh, I think it uh, it works like that. From a visual perspective and the sound perspective, that fits. Like, like it doesn't have to be literal, but like uh-huh. that Nothing. makes sense stylistically, like with what the movie is. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, like a visual version of losing your mind, kind of. Or having it slip away. Losing your mind sounds like chaotic. This is like gently <laughs> having your consciousness yeah. slowly fade away from you. Like pieces you of, yeah, pieces of what you think are familiar going missing. Yeah. So that's one interpretation that I've I've uh, I've seen. Another one is one about child abuse uh, and trauma, which also makes a lot of sense. And I feel like a lot of these could be maybe put together to make one big interpretation of uh, what the film is about. The one that I, I can kind of see is neglect. And uh, the fact that you see a lot of the, you know, the, the two adult characters, the mother and the father are always facing away from the, the children. I feel like it's supposed to represent uh, some sort of neglect and I think what's happening, uh, you know, according to what some theorized uh, that's, that's going on in the film is that the parents are just not really in the picture of uh, or not really paying attention much to the children. And this is what's, you know, this is what's happening when the, uh, there are no parents around because they've just been, you know, mistreating, abusing and neglecting their their kids. Cause, and it's definitely speaks true when you get to something like the knife scene, because, uh, you know, you hear stories about like, oh, yeah, the like a little kid, like the, you know, the parent wasn't paying attention and the kid uh, like got their hands on a knife and, and hurt themselves. That, I guess, kind of makes sense to me, too. I don't I don't know if that one gels as much as the coma thing. You know, uh-huh. n- normally I think like the coma th- stuff in um, like specul like speculating about like characters being like. Oh, it was all a dream. It's like kind of stupid, but yeah, because uh, it ta- it basically just says, "Oh, the story doesn't matter." But for Skinnerink, like the idea of it being a coma is really strong because the entire movie is designed in a way for that to like make sense, like yeah. that that like fits with the experience. I don't know if the the other the second thing matches the experience of watching it as much as the first that first thing yeah. about the coma. Um, I think I think but, it might be something more deeply subtextual than it is textual. Well, I, I just think the coma thing is beautifully both textual and subtextual. Yeah, um, totally. Whereas the second one's a little bit more like um, putting the putting the pieces together using your 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 film school 
<laughs> you yeah. know, film analysis uh, stuff. But, that's more I mean, I, like, can, I guess uh, I can kind of see that, but. That's more like overanalyzing brain going on. Yeah, maybe it's like. And also, you know, like, if you're. snapping represents her suicide when she, you know, whatever. Oh, I never thought about that. Holy shit. Passed it on to the kid because then he stabs himself in the eye with a knife. Goddamn. Fuck. Uh, that's uh, fucking with me right now. I never uh, thought about that. Um, uh, I, I think uh, when you, that's, that's another thing. Like, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of movies are about trauma nowadays. A lot of horror is about trauma. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say it's an overused theme. elevated horror. I'm not going to say it's like an overused theme. Cause you, you know, horror has been dealing with trauma for fucking ages and ages and ages also um, most people are dealing with trauma <laughs> most so people are fucking deal with I mean, yeah most people deal <laughs> yeah. with trauma um Popular. it's uh reflected in our art pretty regularly i would say um yeah, for some reason so you know it's not too far off the beaten path to think that skin and marine is also about some sort of uh childhood trauma uh especially since you know the background that we know about this film that it was shot in Kyle Edward Ball's childhood home, you know, maybe has some sort of connection there. I'm not saying that he went through some sort of trauma. I don't know about his personal life, but you know, I think, you know, from the evidence of the film, maybe he's, maybe he's touching on that. I am not sure, especially if you watch his short films as well, like heck, uh, and, and bite sized, bite sized nightmares. Yeah. But in bite sized nightmares, uh, you can definitely get a sense of that as well. You know, I like all these theories. And the thing about these uh, interpretations is they're never wrong. Mostly never wrong. Um, because, I, I, you know, I think there is no definitive way to read this film, basically. I don't think there's a definitive way to read any film. You know, making like, you know, every kind of interpretation you have about this film is in some way right, I believe. You know, because it does. It, it's all about invoking a feeling, all about invoking fear and and you know its connection fear and its connection to nostalgia i believe um which kind of leads more into my my main takeaway from skin and Marink. thematically i really think that this movie is sort of a response to idolization of our childhood and taking you know because so many things are you know we constantly glorify things about our childhood and i think this movie is reflecting on that and giving it this coating of overwhelming horror and it's basically that's saying to me like hey like we shouldn't you know stuff stuff from our childhood is can be fucked up and you know not supposed to be dwelled upon and i think you know kyle edward ball is using this like fear of the unknown to kind of, uh to to exemplify that and you know it's using you know things like these like cartoons and toys uh and just the idea of being you know in uh in in your in your home as a child and using all those things as as weapons i mean i think that's pretty accurate i mean i think i think that's what the most effective horror is is like taking stuff that is very intimate and specific and using it as, I guess, a, a weapon is one way to do it. And like, yeah, and I know a lot of people get catharsis out of that too. Like, there's definitely catharsis, like, yeah. Like confronting those things and just like engaging with those feelings, because um, uh, 
otherwise you'd have to have actual bad things happen to you or <laughs> feel those things. But yeah, I think I think that that's that that is like I, I said to, to uh, I forget who I was talking to, but I, I think it was probably my partner. I, I I realized that the most effective horror moments and things were like not these like kind of generally scary things, but like things mm-hmm. that the closer it was to a dream, the more effective it was to me. The more surreal and odd the and specific the thing is. It doesn't have to be literally like wacky fantasy land goofy town. Um yeah. but the more the situation is kind of like like you had too much pizza last night and you're having just a, a bad one. Um <laughs> that's, not having a good that's, time. Shouldn't have eaten eight slices uh, of pizza. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know when you, right before you go to bed, you eat, you quickly wolf down like ten slices of Hawaiian. Yeah. Uh, every I, had, night. I had too much barbecue chicken pizza. Now, skin uh, rink is after me. <laughs> no, the skin rink is. <laughs> um, that is like the crazy. Whereas for some other people, they're going to horror movies kind of expecting, I don't know, like the typical ghosts and more blunt basic visceral things Uh, Mm -hmm. like like, i'm a person who doesn't actually think the shining is that scary for example (gasps) what Uh, i I don't know if that's like a a, no i've heard that controversial opinion no i I don't think it's fucking scary it's a good movie but i well it's the thing like it's a solid movie okay uh (laughs) (laughs) well i think that's a that's a broader point though like not all horror movies have to be like holy shit terrifying like not all horror movies have to scare you horror is more of i think uh a style an aesthetic you know right uh you know like uh you know there's monster movies paranormal films uh you know slasher films and but just just the way that this one is rooted in like it's not like what if i made a ghost movie it's like what if i made a movie that made you feel like how I felt exactly when I was a kid. Yes, this thing happened. Like, what if after this film um, you were reduced to a child? Which is exactly how I felt uh, during this. Uh, when after this film ended, you just feel like you're a you, you're living in this primordial ooze. <laughs> you know, like you are in this. Uh, you're. you're you're in the pool of creation after after watching uh, after watching Skinnamarink. Um, I don't know if that makes any lick of sense. Uh, like your just rib was ver- just taken to make the first woman <laughs> after you watched Skinnamarink. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense. I was trying to verbalize like the complete just pool of dread that overwhelmed me when 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 this film ended. I mean, there's there's something about it that I think. Will will come up again, and that is when we talk about other things, which is that this marks like a different direction for like for found horror. footage horror and like for analog horror found footage in general. Yeah, well, I think after this, like so analog... much of it has been kind of stuck in the same bullshit, yeah. and they don't know why they're doing it. Well, I, I think horror. Reason? Well, I think horror has been in a good place for a while, actually. Horror. I'm, I'm speaking specifically about uh, found footage. Yeah, just like yeah. found well, footage is. The thing like, is, like, I don't know if you can relate. Oh, because well, Cloverfield did it. Well, no, no, no. I I don't know if you can really relate this movie to even like found footage conventions. This movie isn't 
found footage it's more analog horror um but you know the two are very connected uh in many that's ways. what i mean yeah there's a version of this movie where hollywood would have greenlit it if it was a movie where a guy walked around with the camera like it begs to be a movie yeah. like that yeah and the fact that they didn't go that direction that he was like if you ask somebody is it a found footage movie you can't say no it's a normal camera it has it's normal, normal camera, camera shots it's like it definitely doesn't it's <laughs> it definitely a, looks a like camera a camera movie it's it, like is it a traditionally shot movie no no absolutely no. not what does it look like well it kind of looks like somebody left a vhs camera lying on the ground yeah, of, yeah from like the 90s oh so it's found footage no it's not because nah. because nobody it's not a real man camera, just watch it i'll give you my yeah. shutter account just watch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just gotta you, you just gotta experience it but that's what's cool is it's it's not restricted to uh, a specific label it's just like yeah it's just its own style it's its own thing it's its own thing Exactly. It's, it's totally its own thing. And you got to respect the, the craft going on. I, I really believe that. Finishing thoughts on Skinamarink. I just thought that th- this was a spectacular experience uh, for me. And one that you really uh, just don't get very often. Like I see great films throughout the year. Every year. Every year is a good year for movies, I would say. You just got to know where to look. And in this case, when we're, I think when we're looking back at 2023, you'll be like, oh, you know, this thing really blew up out of nowhere and it was, it was special. Yeah. Just the, the, this past year in 2022, I feel like I, I saw one of the best movies I've ever seen in my whole entire fucking life. Um, and this year I'm getting uh, already two months into 2023 and it's like, you got Skinnamarink, you got the Outwaters, you are seeing... You got Megan. You got fucking Megan. All these different flavors of horror are coming together, building themselves up to establish the next generation of of film of horror filmmaking. And I think it's doing the genre a great service. Skinnamarink. I gave this movie fucking five stars on Letterboxd, by the way. Um, I five stars too. I dude like. I haven't felt this passionate about a horror film in a very long time. And I see a lot of great horror films. I thought a movie like Barbarian last year was the most excited I felt about a horror oh God, movie Barbarian in, a, was in, so a, fun. in a very long time. Barbarian was amazing. And then the year before that is when uh, Malignant came out. And I fucking loved Malignant. I thought like, oh, man. I, Malignant is that's my man. That is a movie that if, I guess if you want to know about me. That's a movie that I call masterpiece. Yeah, and if you want to know about me, I call fucking Skinnerink a masterpiece. Um, I I just believe like this is you know we're we're really giving these DIY filmmakers uh, a voice uh, and a space in, uh, in 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 the current horror in in horror cinema, and uh, I'm I'm really I'm really happy about it, uh, and I hope uh, I hope they keep going. It's dope. There's yeah, a lot of flavors of horror now what uh you know what are your final do you have any final thoughts about uh about uh Skinnamarink? i'm glad it exists it's uh mm-hmm. it's it's fucking badass that you can make something like this for fifteen thousand dollars and it, people can respond to it and talk about it and in a non-vicious way just disagree <laughs> and some people love it some people hate it some people just don't get it like but it's at least like 
interesting in doing something and succeeding at doing that thing that it's trying to do. Absolutely. Um, that's like art. That's fucking art, baby. That's fucking art, baby. That's fucking art, baby. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, our our big Skinamarink episode. We've got a lot planned for this show. Um, next week, I'm thinking we do the Atwater, Zach. I'm so excited to watch the Outwaters. Oh, man. I've watched the Outwaters already, and I'm excited for you to watch the Outwaters. Uh, uh, might sound something like this review. I'm not going to just to tease a little, uh, just, to, just to tease a little bit about it. But yeah, very excited to, to talk about that next week. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. If you like this show, uh, give us a little bit of feedback on what we can improve. You know what we should keep doing. Uh, what we should focus on more, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. Give us, uh, you know, a good review, good uh, that five stars on an Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever you want to do. Follow me on Twitter at Shaudio, uh, at Schiffer Audio, I think, but the Twitter handle is Shaudio. And uh, yeah, you can listen to my other podcast. I'm a, uh, I, th- I mentioned this review that I'm a sound designer. I actually. Uh, have a brand new show called Blackwood, a Gotham tale, a new audio fiction podcast. This is a gothic fantasy uh, story adapted from a book by a very talented author named Clyde Davis. Uh, and all seven episodes of the first season are available now wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah, that's all I have to plug. Zach, what do you got to plug? Check out my movie. Go through my favorites and see if you agree with what I like. If I might, if you agree with my opinion, my objectively correct opinions on on. Yeah. Film. <laughs> <laughs> do, right. do yourself a favor and watch every single movie that I consider a favorite. <laughs> treat, treat yourself. <laughs> Remember when you had that giant list of uh, everything you wanted, and you had it like splattered all over our apartment? <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Good times. Anyway, this has been another exciting episode of Dark Static. And uh, hope to see you back soon. Thanks for listening.